0: Hello, I'm Andrew, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 29th of November 2023.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Black Country Talking News Beaconvision.org forward slash talking news as a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD. Simply contact Beacon Center on 01902 880 111. We hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading for you this week, we have myself, Andrew,
0: Nathan, Angela, Christine, Ian, Pete, Helen, Mary, Mina, Simon, and of course, not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition, we have an update from Beacon, including the Lifestyle Newsletter for December and January, the quiz with Mina, from making the region greener to a candlelight performer. I expect he's a bright flame candlelight performer. Bum bum. Hi, thank you. We have the latest local news for the Black Country. We have a football news selection from West Brom and Wolves. A. Hey, did you know section from Flashback Roger? The weather for the week ahead. And know that we're into the season. Of cold weather and early sunsets, we have another book review to enjoy from the cosy comforts of home. Local news to start though with Christine, Angela, but first Ian.
2: Local author A.G. Smith will be performing his spooky story “ Pock, at Dudley Library next month. The event at 6:30 pm on Tuesday the 5th of December will be performed by Candlelight. Author A.G. Smith is the creator of Weeping Bank Library, which brings engaging candlelit performances of ghost stories to local libraries, creating intimate and unique experiences for both avid and reluctant readers. A.G. Smith has been writing the terrifying Weeping Bank Tales since 2009, and his ghost story readings have become an essential date for West Midlands audiences. A.G. Smith is also the writer of acclaimed stage plays, An Evening of Delectable Terror, The Walpurgisnacht Hauntings, Silent Nightmares and The Dead of Night, which have been performed in theatres from Birmingham to London. A.G. said, It's always a joy to be returning to Dudley Library to perform a weeping bank story in their incredible reading room. I always say that my job is the easy part. I just turn up to read. It's the dedicated staff in these wonderful libraries who are the unsung heroes of the evening. They work so hard and go above and beyond to make these events so memorable. Councillor Ian Bevan, cabinet member responsible for libraries, said, We're really pleased to welcome A.G. Smith back to Dudley Library after the ghost story evening he hosted at the library last year. It's said to be a very spooky evening and guaranteed to send shivers down your spine. Stephanie Roden, better partnership manager for Dudley Libraries said, A.G. did a fantastic job last year of scaring his audience with readings from his short story collection. The candlelit performance really helps to set the tone and make this an evening to remember. This event is free, but early booking to avoid disappointment is advised. To book, call Dudley Library on 01384 815 to find out more about the readings of Weeping Bank Library and the theatre events of Weeping Bank Productions, head to www.linktr.ee/weepingbank, or find them on Twitter at Weeping Bank.
3: Hosted by the City of Wolverhampton Council, Wolverhampton Literature Festival returns from the 2nd to the 4th of February 2024 for its 8th year. The festival is back with a brand new look to celebrate arts and culture through the magic of the spoken and written word. The lineup is dynamic, exciting and explores a range of topics. Welcoming back Wolverhampton's own author and journalist, Sathnam Sangera, who will be discussing his new book, Empire World, on his publication weekend. Taking a break from Dancing on Ice, comedian and writer Lou Sanders joins us to discuss her moving, hilarious, and honest memoir, What's That Lady Doing? Journalist, investigative reporter, and presenter, who is best known for hosting the Netflix series Inside the World's Toughest Prisons. Raphael Rowe will be at Wolverhampton Art Gallery sharing his powerful and unique life story, having been sentenced to life in prison for a crime he did not commit and exonerated 12 years later by the Court of Appeal. Presenter and journalist Louis Minchin, best known for hosting BBC Breakfast, embarks on an incredible journey to shine a spotlight on female stories of courage and endeavour, breaking down barriers, smashing records and challenging stereotypes. LBC's James O'Brien will also be sharing his new book, How They Broke Britain, exploring the shady network of influence that has created a broken Britain. Annie Abbas, Ella King and Alice McElroy will be spilling the beans on their tips and secrets for their journey to getting their debut novels published, an event made possible with sponsor support by the Mandarin Center. Additionally, Emily Johnson, founder of Arthritis Foodie, discusses her new cookbook and recipes that help her manage her arthritis. The festival will also provide a space for local speakers, writers and artists to share their work with audiences through the return of poets, prattlers and pandemonialists, who will be delivering a range of events including Poetry Slam and Stars of the Slam, in which spectators will see outstanding wordplay. Punjabi women writers are back and will be delivering poems from their new anthology focused on the topics of recycling and climate change, developed through a series of workshops with community groups across the Black Country.
1: Wolverhampton Library Service will also host a variety of children's events, welcoming author and illustrator Steve Smallman for a storytelling, drawing and fun session. Sohan Kayley is back with a live, interactive and musical storytelling adventure. And join Grandpa Sticks in a storytelling session filled with rhythm actions and vocal sounds that will get you excited. There will also be a special screening of the National Theatre production of Othello. City of Wolverhampton Council Cabinet Member for Visitor City, Councillor Bupinda Gakal said, The Wolverhampton Literature Festival is a great opportunity to spark the imagination of all ages. There are a range of activities and events to get involved with, whether you like to sit back and listen, take part in a workshop or just try something new. I urge everyone to come along and see what the festival has to offer as it has grown year on year in the city and I look forward to welcoming the artists. There is also an opportunity for residents to get involved. In the run-up to the festival, organisers are looking for enthusiastic volunteers to help deliver the exciting programme of literary events happening in city venues. Volunteers will be provided with professional development opportunities tips and advice on job applications and signposting to relevant opportunities to build on experience developed at the festival. Some examples of roles will include event stewards, information stewards, runners and technical support. If interested or for more information, email art.gallery at wolverhampton.gov.uk Tickets for the 2024 Wolverhampton Literature Festival are now on sale. For more information, visit Wolverhampton Literature Festival. Well, that sounds like it will be a truly fantastic event. I cannot wait! All this talk about such talented authors has got me searching for a good old book. So how about we all grab a cuppa and nestle down in our comfy spots for a book review from one of Britain's most celebrated comic writers, a novelist who combined her brilliantly funny writing style with often biting satire to captivate not just the nation's readers, but influence a generation of writers and performers along the way. Can you guess who it may be?
4: NF Soundings. Features from across the UK.
5: Welcome back to Debbie Heath, uh, our perennial audiobook discusser. And uh, Debbie and I have been looking at and listening to a book by Sue Townsend called The Woman Who Went to Bed for a Year we we'll come back to the title in a minute. But uh, first, uh, Debbie, thanks for being here. And the the life story of Sue Townsend is quite interesting. You know, her father was a factory worker who became a postman. So the mother worked in the canteen at a factory. She, the mother, encouraged her daughter to read. Apparently, she got a job lot of just William books, sort of, jumble sale or something and she's got her reading that something else that i discovered was that rather unfortunate that she uh two towns as a child witnessed the murder of another school child someone she knew
6: this is horrible do you know how old she was when
5: less than 14 because she started writing in secret at the age of 14 oh. and that may well have been part of what yeah. i suspect from what it, was, what it was written that it was a primary school i think it was that far back Goodness. don't know the story Anyway, she didn't exactly excel at school. She got through. She worked after school in a pea factory. (laughs) And uh, by evening, she worked at a petrol station. Now, that's a good way to get through the books because petrol stations at night may not be very pleasant to be in. Absolutely. They're rather cold and dark at times and quite lonely. But as long as they're safe, she was able to read a lot during the night shift. She married, three kids, the marriage ended. She then really fell into poverty. Struggling to put food on the table. Yes,
6: and I hadn't appreciated that until I read up on it. Goodness. But all this gives colour to her books, doesn't it? You know, having a range of jobs like that. She did end up with an honorary degree, I think, didn't she? From a couple of the Leicester. Yeah,
5: a couple. I think it was Leicester, which is where she spent most of her life. And she did a lot of her work in Leicester in the local theatre and Loughborough was the other one, which is also yes. fairly local, too. There. Yeah, she had a couple of honorary degrees uh, because she wrote a lot. She had a lot of success. I mean, mm. her first one was the well known series on Adrian Mole.
6: Oh, loved
5: that. Uh, which I never read.
6: Oh, they're marvellous. I
5: mean, it's a teenage boy growing up with angst.
6: Just <laughs> so funny. I mean, it's surprising she wrote as a boy, isn't it? But I suppose she had her own son, so she knew what she was talking about. That's right. Yes, it's through Adrian's eyes, but it's a story of his parents as well. Some of it's so sad and some of it's so funny. What I like about them, it's not just the teenage stuff going on, but it's this lovely friendship that Adrian forms with a retired couple. And it's just this lovely friendship that springs up. Hey, we're not there to talk about that
5: No, it we must move on. But all this is relevant to the book we are going to discuss. Just to sort to, to of close down on her life a little bit, because she died in 2014, so not that long ago. She was diabetic and that caused her sight loss mm. before she finished writing. And she actually dictated her last books to her son, which she found very strange and very unsatisfying. Yeah. But she was ill for quite a long time, and uh, in the, in the last years. And as I say, she died in two thousand and fourteen. But in two thousand and twelve, the book we are going to discuss was voted audiobook of the year, and I, I think it's it's great fun. Some of the language is sometimes a little bit close to the edge. <laughs> <laughs> That's life. The woman who went to bed for a year is called Eva.
6: I changed my mind about Eva as it went on. We meet Eva as. Um... A housewife who's super intelligent, probably autistic in a very high functioning way. Her very intelligent children have just gone to university, twins. And as I'm sure the parents of any twins will know, I believe it's very, very hard work. She has been exhausted for 17 years. She's been serving them. She's been serving her husband. I don't think she had a career, did she? She's been there to serve
5: because the twins are going away, so her life has changed. Yes, the empty nest. Yeah.
6: And at the beginning of the book, she ends up spilling some soup on a beautifully upholstered chair. She'd upholstered it herself. And this is enough just to make her want to lie down for a minute. Well, I get that. I'm a busy mother. I understand. At this point, I understand Eva. And I think, yeah, good for you. The thing is, though, that she doesn't get out of bed again for a year. And um, I do begin to lose my patience with her. But I I understand where where the angst comes from. And no, it's not angst. She's just tired. She's tired of everything.
5: It also becomes not just a rejection of all the painful things she's had to do over the years, the long list of jobs that need doing and that's assumed that she as the housewife will do.
4: Hmm.
7: On the second day, Eva woke and threw the duvet back and sat on the side of the bed. Then she remembered that she didn't have to get up and make breakfast for anyone. Yell at anyone else to get up, empty the dishwasher or fill the washing machine, iron a pile of laundry, drag a vacuum cleaner up the stairs or sort cupboards and drawers, clean the oven or wipe various surfaces, including the necks of the brown and red sauce bottles, polish the wooden furniture clean the windows or mop the floors, straighten the rugs and cushions, shove a brush down various shitty toilets or pick up soiled clothing and place it in a laundry basket. Replace light bulbs and toilet rolls, pick up things from downstairs that were upstairs and bring them down or pick up things from upstairs that were downstairs. Fetch dry cleaning, weed the borders, visit garden centres to buy bulbs and annuals, polish shoes or take them to the key cutter, return library books, sort recycling, pay paper bills visit one mother and worry about not visiting one mother-in-law, feed the fish and clean out the filter, answer the phone for two teenagers and pass on messages, shave legs or pluck eyebrows, give self-manicure, change the sheets and pillowcases on three beds if it was Saturday, hand wash woolen jumpers and dry flat on a bath towel, pay bills, shop for food she wouldn't eat herself, wheel it to the car, unload it into the boot, drive home, put the food away in the fridge and the cupboards and on tiptoe place tins and dried goods on a shelf exceeded her reach but was perfectly comfortable for Brian.
5: She didn't go to bed for the day. She was tired. She didn't go there mm. saying, "I'm not going to get up for a year." It just no. sort of become became something she thought. Well, actually, I don't have to. She hadn't thought it all through because you've got to get to the loo from the bed. But <laughs> so...
6: yeah, we'll come back to that bit. I'm still still confused about that bit. Okay.
5: <laughs> but I thought that I mean the description of the of the um, uh, the jobs the, it, it goes on over several pages. So all we can do is listen to a small section of it. What she was saying: "I've had enough of all of this." Mm. So she's. Got these, this family. She doesn't evidently feel particularly appreciated. And certainly as we meet her husband, we <laughs> begin to understand why and why she doesn't appreciate him very much. Everything about her past has got her irritated, it seems to me. I mean, I don't have... We'll, we'll discuss what your problem with her in, in a moment. Because I think it's, it's, there's, there's darkness beneath the humour, as it were, and it's the darkness that I think is quite yes.
3: interesting.
6: Yes, yes, I agree. It is dark. I've listened to it twice. I'd never describe it, actually, as a comedy... I would call it a drama that happens to have some wry looks at people and situations. I'm not surprised it won an award as an audiobook, Rob, because Caroline Quentin, I love Caroline Quentin. She's good at so many things, but comedy is her forte. And she just has a way of reading that makes this book come alive. It's an absolute joy to listen to her. So, yeah, if there's comedy, she finds it. She's got all the voices sorted. It's just lovely. She hits the ground running, making it very clear that she understands, well, she's a mother, that she understands some of what Eva's going through.
5: But her husband, Brian, finds it all completely confusing.
7: Why are you walking backwards, Brian? She laughed. You look as if you've just laid a wreath at the cenotaph. The answer to Eva's question was that Brian no longer felt safe to turn his back on her. She was no longer the compliant woman he had married and he feared her mockery, her two fingers gesturing behind his back. He couldn't allow that, especially not after his recent humiliation at work when Mrs. Horden, the cleaner, had discovered Titania and himself engaged in a sex act involving a model of the Large Hadron Collider. Brian said, I'm glad you find it amusing. Haven't you noticed that my health is suffering? And, unbearably... My paper on Olympus Mons has been discredited by Professor Lichtenstein. I'm on the edge, Eva. You look all right to me. Energetic. Virile. Positively brimming with testosterone. Brian looked at his wife. Virile? I'm exhausted. Why does housework take up so much time? I think at the beginning,
6: when... Poor Brian is completely bewildered that he can't get into his own bed, you know. And then he stubs his foot, doesn't he? And I I felt really sorry for him. But then, without ruining too much, very quickly, you no longer feel sorry for him. This guy is... I can't think of a way of saying it politely.
5: He has his own life.
6: He does. Not
5: that interested in anybody other than himself.
6: I think his children probably take after him very very intelligent man probably lacking in a great deal of social awareness and a great deal of responsibility actually and it was probably highly irritating for her I think he probably gets what he deserves
5: and we can't say too much because as the story develops of course you find out more about him and more about what his life is like what he's up to the twins, again, pretty uh, <laughs> asocial mathematical prodigies. Yeah.
7: When they got to the students' union, they headed straight for the mathematics club. They pushed through the crowds of drunken students and eventually stood in front of a trestle table covered in large, laminated, photocopied equations. A youth, wearing a tight-knitted hat, gasped and said, ''Oh, you're the Beaver Twins! Oh, huge respect! You two dudes are awesome! No, no, you're, you're legends!'' a gold medal each at the IMO. He looked at Brian Jr. and said, and the special prize, mega respect, a solution of outstanding elegance. Can you talk me through it? It would be an honour. Brian Jr. said, well, yes, if you've got a spare two hours. The youth in the hat said, listen, Anytime, anywhere, a tutorial from Brian Beaver Jr. would look superb on my CV. Let me get a pen.
5: Brian Jr. and I don't know how you pronounce it. Brianne. Everything works around Brian, including the names. They go off to university the first year. They're really going to struggle because they they don't really know how to handle people.
6: No, and they unfortunately meet this terrible girl called Poppy who uh, is a drain And I wanted to slap her big time, pretty much every 10 minutes throughout the book. But there are people like that that you meet. And if you lack social awareness, it's very hard to deal with people like this, isn't it? And to be honest, I think I'd find it hard to deal with Poppy. But what an interesting character. She becomes quite important. And she helps just about everyone in the book to work out who they are, one way or another. But terrible, terrible person.
5: She gets into everything, yeah. and entirely really for does. her own interests. Yes. She's really not interested in anybody else. She tells lies frequently all the time. In fact, she lives a lie. Yeah, but uh, there we are. She's uh, she's another great character. In due course, and not too long after, because one of the things that uh, the Eva wants to do with her bedroom is clear it all out, get rid of all the furniture, make it white painted white everything's got to be clear and the old life's gone she can see out the window i think i can't remember whether she moves her bed to the window
6: i think she does does. so
5: she can see outside there's a tree and gradually people begin to collect once they didn't know what's going on people come there to find out what's what's happening and and she has a crowd outside most of the time somebody comes to help is the white van man By the name of Alexander. Oh,
6: Alexander, I think he comes to do something else. I think Brian gets him to do something and she says, you know, when you finish, will you come upstairs? I've got a little job for you.
7: When Eva heard Alexander's voice in the hall, she shouted, Upstairs! Second on the right! He smiled a greeting when he saw her. Am I in the right place? Yes, she said, and indicated the wardrobe. He looked at it and laughed. Yeah, I can see why you'd want to get rid of that. It's like a wooden stone henge. He opened the doors and looked inside. The wardrobe was still jammed with Brian and Eva's clothes and shoes. Are you going to empty it? No, she said. I have to stay in or on the bed. Sorry, I I didn't realise you were ill. No, she said. I'm not ill. I'm just retreating from the world, I think. Yeah? Well, we all have our own way of doing that. So, will you be staying in bed? She said. I have to. And where do you want me to put the clothes and shoes? It took hours to empty her side of the wardrobe. They developed a system. Alexander got four large bin liners from the kitchen. One was for recycling, another for charity shops, a third for selling on eBay, and the last was to take to the vintage clothing shop that Alexander's sister ran in the newly fashionable Deptford. And poor Alexander, well, he never really escapes, does
5: he? He's a lovely character. I, I found him very interesting and yes. very lovely because he used to work in banking. He, he dropped out of banking. He's another, if you like, outsider. He grows his dreadlocks and he is what he is and he's a great character. And he's actually very caring towards oh, yes, her. he's lovely. Yes, um, I don't and,
6: think uh, she could have managed it without Alexander and the two grandmothers. But we could come on to them a bit later. Alexander's a very interesting character and there's some really sad stuff near the end that I found deeply affecting. Marvellous person. He's extremely patient and he ends up, well, really mothering her. The bit I didn't like, Rob, and I I have a problem with, with nail clipping at the best of times. The bit where... Sue Townsend describes him cutting Eva's toenails. It made me, and i i feel sick now. Actually, I well, we think won't
5: talk about it anymore. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
8: okay.
5: There are certain aspects of this which are, um, if you like, have the potential to do that to you. Yes. But um, that's uh, that's part of the comedy that comes out of a situation that is not itself comic. And there's a lot that develops, and and you mentioned the two mothers, or the mother and the mother-in-law.
6: They're very different women, and they end up doing an awful lot for Eva as well. This is where I start to have a problem with her. I completely sympathise, but I just think there comes a point where she's being utterly selfish. The older women really are much too old to be doing all this heavy work for her. But the problem is, of course, she is mentally ill, and she's not receiving... The support that she needs there's some dragon of a district nurse that comes in and doesn't mm-hmm. like her at all mm. but it, it's terribly sad that the system has failed her but i believe this is what's happening
5: she is disturbed and and superficially who wouldn't be by the life she's put up with and it, she reflects the life of a lot of other people mainly women who are in that situation as well mm. Mm. taken for granted doing all the work and thinking what am i doing this for there are other characters, of course, which are and Some of them are quite nice and interesting things happen. And as I said, there's a crowd gathers outside and that becomes itself a feature. Yes, because they regard
6: her as a sage, really, don't they? That's and They right. all want a piece of advice, yeah. which puts all the pressure on her again. I'm not sure she always gives the best advice, but there we are.
5: I think the thing is that it, it's a book which is enjoyable. I found it humorous. You worry about the humor aspect, whether it's, but it should be seen as humorous but it is it yeah it is, it is
6: funny yeah. caroline
5: quentin is a hoot for reading it it's a it good is. listen
6: it's an easy book to listen to it is a funny book darkly comic and it will also give you some social questions to consider won't it so yeah if you want a book that will make you think a little bit then why not go for it i mean i had visual impairment so i had to listen to it and i went through it in about a week it was an absolute pleasure thoroughly recommend this book she's a very funny writer she's very shrewd she really understands people and a range of people probably because of this very varied life she's had and she knows what it's like to be in poverty she knows what it's like to have a a range of jobs it comes through and it's particularly rewarding knowing that she suffered from sight loss as we do yeah it's just really uplifting isn't it
5: thank you very much debbie Debbie and I were talking about the audiobook The Woman Who Went to Bed for a Year by Sue Townsend. It was recorded by Caroline Quentin and the recording lasts for ten and a half hours. Thanks as ever to Calibre Audio for enabling us to take extracts from the recording to illustrate the points we were trying to make.
4: TNF Soundings
3: Up next, we hear from Helen, who, as usual, has our latest Beacon update. Hi everyone, it's
9: Helen from Beacon, back with your weekly update. And I'm starting this week with a message for those who use Facebook. Now, you may have seen a message on your profile about Giving Tuesday, which takes place on the 28th of November and setting up a fundraiser for a charity to celebrate. The good news is it's really simple to do and you can choose Beacon to support by following the steps in the message or by creating a new post, selecting the raise money option and searching for Beacon. If everyone following us was able to raise £10 each by setting up a fundraiser and sharing it, this would raise almost £40,000, which could help enormously towards us providing services to people in your community with sight loss. Giving Tuesday is all about supporting good causes and making a world of difference in one day. Choosing to support Beacon would mean so much to us. Now, our Forget Me Not service is one of the most special events of the year at Beacon and we'd be honoured for you to join us if there's someone you'll be remembering over Christmas. The seasonal service of remembrance and the official lighting of a Beacon Christmas tree will take place at our centre on Thursday, December 7th from 6pm. If you'd like to join us, get in touch with our supporter engagement team on 01902 880111 or email supporters at beaconvision.org. Our Christmas order book is open. Made by Fab Lab has a range of handcrafted gifts and decorations made to order just for you. From a reusable braille gift tag that can be personalized with your own festive message to a Christmas movie mug. There is something for everyone. Order now via our Etsy shop, www.etsy.com. Now last this week, we need your vote. Movement for Good is awarding £1,000 to 120 charities in the run up to Christmas. Each nomination we receive increases our chances of being one of those lucky charities. Please head over to their website and take a moment to nominate us by following the link and using our charity number 216092 and the link is www.benefactgroup and that's B-E-N-E-F-A-C-T. Group.com. We so appreciate your support. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon.
3: Bye bye. Thanks for that update, Helen. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition brought to us by Mina. Hello, and welcome to this
10: week's flashback quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question one. In what year did Dudley Zoo open? Question two. What is on the menu for the animals at Dudley Zoo at Christmas? Question three. What was unique about Dudley Zoo's chairlift? Question 4 What was the castle's address before 1926? Question 5 Which side held the castle during the English Civil War? And finally, question six. What is the name given to the castle's famous ghost? I will be back later in the show to answer all your questions. But for now, best of luck.
3: Cheers for those questions, Mina. Mm, I'll get my mind working on them. Next, it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on.
2: As we approach the festive season, there are a few things synonymous with this time of year those Christmas cracker jokes we've heard many times over, a selection of questionable decisions for gifts, and plenty of repeats on the box. For Wolves, it seems Christmas may have come early, as two debatable second half penalties awarded to Fulham ultimately condemned Gary O'Neill's team to a 3-2 defeat at Craven Cottage on a night which won't do anything for Wolves' sense of injustice at refereeing decisions. The home side started the game well, full of intent and purpose pinning Wolves back in their own half. And Wolves lacklustre start proved costly as Alex Iwobi opened the scoring in the seventh minute for the hosts. Mateus Cunha equalized for the visitors after 22 minutes heading in Jean-Ritner Bellegarde's cross after the Frenchman successfully beat Robinson down the right. Willian restored Fulham's lead with the first penalty of the game just before the hour mark after Nelson Semedo had controversially been adjudged to have caught Tom Kearney on the edge of the box. But Wolves soon had a spot kick of their own inside the final 20 minutes, when Tim Ream bundled over Hwang Hee Chan and the South Korean winger struck Wolves' second equaliser from 12 yards. Fulham rode their luck and benefited from another late penalty call to sneak all three points. The first spot-kick referee Salisbury awarded was when Semedo caught Kearney in the area. Although the VAR took a lengthy look at the call, it upheld the on-field decision even if Semedo did touch the ball as they deemed he made contact with Kearney. About 15 minutes later Wolves won a penalty of their own when a long ball over the top had Huang sprinting in on goal. But he was caught by Ream inside the area. The VAR had a quicker look at the decision although the call appeared to be clear-cut. And in the final moments of the game, Salisbury initially waved play on when Harry Wilson and João Gomez came together in the box, but overturned his call and awarded a penalty after the VAR advised him to look at the pitch-side monitor. William dispatched the penalty. Elsewhere, Fulham's Carlos Vinicius was also fortunate to be shown only a yellow card after he squared up to Max Kilman and caught the centre-back's nose with his forehead. Wolves will feel aggrieved with their loss at Craven Cottage, having also hit the bar when trailing in the first half through Huang. This is not the first time this season Wolves fans will feel their side have been on the wrong end of VAR. Following a post-match conversation with the officials, Wolves' boss Gary O'Neill was open and honest in his interviews, mentioning how referee Michael Salisbury admitted the decision to award the first of two penalties against Wolves was an error, and how he believed four big decisions went against the visitors. ''Maybe tonight has finally turned me against VAR,'' O'Neill told Sky Sports. ''The impact that you are having on my reputation and the club and people's livelihoods is massive.'' We should be able to talk about the game and not decisions, but unfortunately we can't. I think it is a really complex issue. I have always been for VAR, but I think it is causing problems at the moment. I think VAR has cost us there. For all four decisions to go against us is tough to take, and we didn't deserve that. Wolves travel to Arsenal for their next match on Saturday in the Premier League, when they will be without Lemina and Gomez, who have accumulated too many yellow cards. West Brom moved back into the top six of the championship with a win which brought Ipswich's 12-game unbeaten run to an end. Kieran McKenna's promotion hopefuls had not tasted defeat in the league since the 26th of August when they lost to Leeds, but excellent goals from Darnell Furlong and Grady Diangana underlined the baggies' billing as the division's best home performers over the last year. Victory also saw Carlos Corberan's team bounce straight back from their first defeat in five games at Southampton before the international break and reclaim a place in the playoff places. The game was a meeting of an irresistible home force against an immovable away object, with West Brom garnering more points at home, 50 in the past year under Corberan, than any other championship team, and Ipswich last losing on their travels in the league at Oxford ten months ago. It was the Baggies who got off to a flying start as the impressive Jed Wallace's wicked cross was inches away from the head of the diving Brandon Thomas Asante. From the ensuing corner, Matt Phillips curved the ball to the near post and Furlong leapt to guide his balletic header in off the far post. The Baggies almost doubled their lead when Thomas Asante had a shot beaten away by Ipswich keeper Vaslav Chladki but the Tractor boys fought their way back into the reckoning and the score remained 1-0 going into the break. Ipswich forced West Brom back at the start of the second half but were caught by a classic counterpunch. Connor Townsend coolly played the ball out of defence for Wallace, who raced over halfway and slipped the ball to Thomas Asante, peeling off on his outside. The striker in turn moved the ball on to Diangana and with the visitors defence scurrying back, he slid the ball home off the far post. It was a neat finish to a brilliant, sweeping counter-attack from the baggies. That killed the game as a contest and the scoreline would have been more emphatic but for an astonishing miss from Matt Phillips. Promotion hopefuls Ipswich could not make a dent though as the baggies closed the game out to secure the points and inflict Ipswich's first league away defeat since January. West Brom manager Carlos Corberan told BBC Radio WM. It's necessary to perform at this level if you want to win. They are in the first position in the table because they do very good things. And if you are not focused in every single aspect, that can have an impact on the result. For me today, it has been a game of the team winning because I saw every single player performing very well during the game. This was the baggies fourth win in five games and moved them up to fifth place.
3: Up next, it's Trivia Time, brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Take it away, Roger.
11: Hello again everyone, I hope that you're all feeling well and getting yourselves ready for Christmas, as it's only just about four weeks away. I've been reading a bit of local history and stumbled across some facts about Dudley Zoo that I thought might interest you, so I'll share them with you this week. Now then, did you know that? <whistles> Dudley Zoo opened in May 1937 and it has the world's largest single collection of tecton structures designed by Russian architect Berthold Lubitkin. They were constructed between 1935 and 1937 using a specialist system of reinforced concrete. The 12 Grade Two listed buildings were granted World Monuments Fund status in 2009 and they ranked alongside such world-famous landmarks as Machu Picchu and the Taj Mahal. At Dudley Zoo, they get through a lot of fruit and veg and on average, the zoo storeman orders 122 kilos of apples, 14 kilos of oranges, 20 kilos of pears, 29 kilos of bananas, 29 kilos of tomatoes, 35 sticks of celery, 11 kilos of cucumber, 54 kilos of lettuce, and a ton of red meat for the carnivores. And for the animals, oh, there's even sprouts on the Christmas menu. And the zoo's chairlift was originally opened on May 11, 1958 and was the first passenger carrying aerial roadway to be installed in England. And each ride then cost six old pence, or two and a half being today's money, though today of course it's free, and 80% of visitors take it to the top. It closed in 2002 over safety fears, but reopened again in 2012 after a grant of £172,000 provided the cash. During the work, over 16 layers of paint had to be removed from the chairs, which are now fully restored and painted cream. And here's an odd one, because Dudley Castle has only been situated within the borders of the town of Dudley since 1926, when the borders were changed. It used to be located within the borders of a neighbouring town of Sedgley, so strictly speaking, up until then, it could be said it was Sedgley Castle. During the English Civil War, it was held by Royalists and lost to the Parliamentarians after a two-year siege in 1646, when Cromwell rendered it useless as a fortification. The residential part was untouched and remained occupied by the Dukes of Dudley until a great fire of 1750 wrecked it completely. And of course, the most famous ghost of Dudley Castle is that of the Grey Lady, who is often seen by staff and visitors alike walking the grounds of the castle. And people have also reported hearing drumming from the castle keep, which is thought to be associated with a young drummer boy who was killed by a single bullet during the Civil War. Well then, that's Dudley Castle and Zoo in a nutshell, but I can't let you go without mentioning Teddy Gray's Rock, because for me it's as part of Dudley as the zoo itself. With the castle printed on every bag, I have to confess that when I was a kid, I thought that was where Teddy Gray lived, in Road Up. This has made me fancy one of his herbal tablets, so I'm off. I'll be back next week, so bye for now. To ra a bit. Ta-ra.
3: Up now, we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, come rain or shine, by our own sunny Mina.
10: Well, it's starting to feel a lot like winter. As the weather for the week ahead is forecast to continue to be bitterly cold with some sunny intervals, but the chance of some wintry showers too. Temperatures are forecast to continue to struggle with the chance of a hard frost overnight. UV levels are expected to remain low. The sunrise and sunset times are 8.05am for the sunrise, 3.55pm for the sunset. Friday 1st December is forecast to be wet and breezy, with spells of sleet and rain which may clear by lunchtime. Temperatures are expected to be around four degrees, but will dip drastically overnight to a low of minus two degrees. Moving on, and yep, you've guessed it. The cold spell looks set for the weekend, but it will be dry and sunny. With light winds, temperatures will remain wintry four degrees on both Saturday and Sunday, with a hard frost looking likely for both nights. On to next week where the spell of dry but cold weather will continue to dominate with plenty of clear skies and frosty mornings to look forward to. It is forecast to be dry and sunny on Monday 4th of December and continue right through to Thursday 7th of December. With a gentle breeze, temperatures should continue to struggle (coughs) at around 5 degrees. Temperatures are forecast to drop overnight through the week So expect some cold and frosty mornings. So there we have it, wintry week ahead. Time to find those winter woolies and warmers. As always, enjoy the weather. Thanks for that weather
3: update Mina. Up now is another beacon update.
12: Hello and welcome to the Beacon Lifestyle Newsletter for December 2023 and January 2024. Happy Christmas and Happy New Year. I hope you have a wonderful break. Really enjoy yourself and I hope to see as many of you as possible in 2024. Just to let you know, the drop-in sessions will still be in the residence lounge. In December, it'll be on the 5th of December, which is a Tuesday, 2 till half past two. In January, it'll be Tuesday the 2nd, 10 till half ten. Very important message, lovelies. From December, we will no longer be invoicing for any of the sports and the social and the community activities. We now have a card machine and a float and an online payment system to allow people to pay for activities when they attend or when they book so you can pay as you go so you can keep track of it. Any non-attendance without prior cancellation will still be charged. Please ensure you have your card or cash available to pay for activities when you arrive or book. All transport costs will still be invoiced as they are a separate department. Would you like to receive this newsletter in a different format? Please contact The Beacon on 01902 880 111 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org.
3: sessions for December Wednesday the 6th of December Mary's movement class a seated standing class working the whole body with cardio weights and strength to your ability it's fun and friendly with your music choice 1030 to 11 30 a.m based in the gym at Beacon the class cost is 4 pounds fifty Thursday the 7th of December book club in the residence lounge at the Beacon Center Sedgeley. 10:30 a.m. till 12. Please note the new start time. The cost is 2 pounds. Friday, the 8th of December. Walking round West Park, Wolverhampton, WV1 4SQ. From 11 a.m. to 12 for a leisurely walk and 12 to 1 p.m. to catch up in the cafe. Take it at your own pace and complete your own chosen distance on a paved flat route. We'll meet at the Connaught Road gate entrance. The activity cost is £2. Minibus costs £5 and departs at 10.30am, returning at 1.30pm. Volunteer guides are available. Weather permitting. Monday, the 11th of December. We shall be running another new circuit class at Beacon Gym. The session will run from 11am to 12 and will allow for use of all gym equipment with a fun circuit included. Get set for an enjoyable, loud and sweaty gym session. The cost is £4.50 per person. Friday, the 15th of December. 10 pin bowling at Castlegate Dudley, DY1 4TA, 11am to 1pm. All abilities are welcome. With a friendly, fun atmosphere for social bowling, the trip cost is two pounds. The activity cost is six pounds forty-five for two games, paying at the bowling alley on the day. Minibus costs five pounds and departs at ten thirty a.m., returning at two p.m. Wednesday, the eighteenth of December, swimming at Bert Williams Centre, Bilston, WV fourteen zero EF. 10:45 to 11:45 a.m. We have a private lane just for beacon users. All abilities are welcome. The activity cost is 6 pounds. The minibus costs 5 pounds. It departs at 10:15 a.m. and returns at 1 p.m. Lockers are a pound or a trolley token.
1: And moving into the new year, on Wednesday the 3rd of January, we have Mary's movement class. From 10.30am to 11.30am, based in the gym at Beacon. The class cost is £4.50. Thursday, the 4th of January, Book Club in the residence lounge at the Beacon Centre, Sedgley. 10.30am to 12pm. Please note the new start time and the cost is £2. Wednesday, the 10th and Monday, the 22nd of January, swimming at Burt Williams Centre, Bilston. WV fourteen zero EF ten forty five AM to eleven forty five AM The activity cost is six pounds, the minibus cost is five pounds, it departs at ten fifteen AM and returns at one PM Friday the twelfth of january walking around Sedgley This walk is on pavements, hills, grass and uneven surfaces and should take approximately two to three hours. Activity cost is £2, leaving Beacon at 11am. We will also be stopping for a spot of lunch at the cabin on the Northway. This activity is weather permitting. Monday, the 15th of January, circuits class at Beacon Gym, 11am to 12pm. The cost is £4.50 per person. Use of all gym equipment with a fun circuit. Friday, 19th of January, 10 pin bowling at Castlegate Dudley. DY1 4TA 11am to 1pm. The activity cost is two pounds. Six pounds forty-five for two games, paying at the bowling alley on the day. The minibus cost is five pounds and departs at 10:30am and returns at 2pm. Friday, the 26th of January, West Park Walk, 11am to 1pm. Meeting at the Connaught Road entrance. Activity cost is two pounds. Minibus is £5 and this is weather permitting.
2: What happened last month? Bright colours and good contrast can make a big difference for someone with sight loss and last month we went all out on World Sight Day wearing our brightest clothes for Bright for Sight Day. We have a lovely photo showing Mary in her bright pink hoodie alongside two of our wonderful members splashing some colour with their bright blue and purple garlands. Thank you to everyone that had fun and got involved, helping us ensure no one has to face sight loss alone.
9: VIP Group. We are a group of working age people and or people who live independently with sight loss that meet once a month for a social gathering. We're a friendly bunch that likes to try new activities, build friendships and encourage others to live life to the full. On Wednesday, the 20th of December, we shall be belting out some Christmas classics in the Beacon Coffee Bar, as it is karaoke night. The activity cost is £3 and starts at 6pm, finishing around 8pm. So, please do come and join us for some fun. Let's eat, sing, dance and be merry! Also, looking ahead to next year and on Wednesday the 31st of January between 6pm and 8pm at the Beacon Coffee Bar, we shall be blowing away the cobwebs and getting ourselves into the new year gear for our first quiz night in 2024. The activity cost is £3.
8: Well, I guess it's that time of year again where you may be thinking about next year's diaries and calendars so good news beacon are now taking orders for 2024 large print diaries and calendars the diaries range from pocket or a6 in size and go up to a4 there is even a jumbo diary with more pages offering even more room they have big and bold text making it easy to see the 2024 calendars are also available now The calendars are available in two orientations, Portrait A3 or Landscape A3, which is the shorter but wider of the two. If you would like a large print diary or calendar for 2024, Beacon are now taking orders. So give us a call on 01902 880. 111 and ask to speak to a sight loss advisor that's 01902 880 111 to audios now
13: if you're struggling with reading and need a magnifier have you ever considered a video magnifier or sometimes known as a digital magnifier Well, we can have a range of video magnifiers that you can come in and try. Now, a video magnifier, you can increase or decrease the magnification so you can turn it up a bit or you can turn it up quite a lot to help you read. You can change contrast settings on a video magnifier so you can look at something in true colour or you could change the contrast to black on white or white on black or yellow on black or black on yellow it's whatever works best for you. So there's a range of combinations there that you can try to find the right one. You can also freeze images on a video magnifier. So let's say there's um, something in your fridge, a piece of some food. You could take a little picture because the angle's a bit difficult to read of it and then bring the magnifier away and then zoom it up. So if it's something like the sell by dates or ingredients on food, you can read it comfortably there. So video magnifiers range from small handheld magnifiers you can sit comfortably in an armchair to read with, up to medium-sized ones, which are about the size of laptops, and then there's desktop magnifiers with big, large 24-inch screens, which really make magnification strong. So if you would like to try a video magnifier to see if that would help you, you're very welcome to. Just call Beacon's Sight Loss Advisors for an appointment and remember, bring something you struggle to read with you. So if you'd like to try a video magnifier, give us a call on 01902 880 and ask for a sight loss advisor. 01902 880
12: opening hours over Christmas. It's nearly Christmas, which means a little change to our opening times to give our teams a well-earned break. Our centre will be closing on the 24th of December and will be reopening on the 2nd of January. Our care team will be working over Christmas, delivering vital care packages for those who need our support. And our on-call team will be available 24-7 over the Christmas period for any emergencies. Please keep an eye on our social media accounts for shop opening times over this period. Have a happy Christmas. There is a lovely picture of a Christmas tree on this page with all its baubles and lights. meet the staff this month it is nathan nathan richards is a sight loss advisor and digital technology trainer at the beacon a former scaffolder he has worked for the charity for 11 months after initially receiving support from beacon following his own sight loss diagnosis nathan started working with beacon via an internship and has successfully completed this programme and has taken on a full-time role with us. Nathan's work involves giving information, advice and guidance to visually impaired people via our engagement team and training people in how to use technology to make life easier. This could be include teaching people how to use software, such as screen readers or magnification, home speakers and accessible apps. Nathan has recently been highly commended at the Black Country Chamber of Commerce Awards in the Employee of the Year category. We are super, super proud of Nathan and all that he's achieved despite his sight loss diagnosis. He continues to support and inspire people daily. Nathan has told us outside of the beacon I always try new things. I recently started trying kickboxing in the summer but having just had my pacemaker fitted I have had to put my fighting career on hold. Fitness is a must for me though a strong body equals a strong mind. My job is all about empowering people by giving them back their independence. If anyone would like to find out how we can help, whether it's through learning how to use a smartphone or solving a practical problem in your home, please call me for support. Ring 01902 880 111 or email inquiries at beacon.org to find out how Nathan and the team can help. The picture is a wonderful picture of Nathan in his full tux looking like James Bond receiving his award from the Black Country Commerce Awards.
9: Sedgeley Lifestyle Centre. We are open Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday from 10am to 3pm at our base in Sedgley. We run several activities each day including cookery, crafting, pottery, computer work, gym sessions, listening to music, quizzes and reminiscing. We keep well hydrated with tea, coffee and water and we have the restaurant to attend to for a hot meal if we don't bring our sandwiches with us. We are lively, fun and love to have a laugh. Why not come and join us for a trial day? Contact Beacon's reception and ask for more information. You can call us on 01902 880 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. We have a lovely photo this month of the whole team looking super smiley and full of festive cheer. So here's a very happy Christmas to you all from Jan Sally, Mary, Mina, Dawn and Becky.
3: VIP Queen's Cross. We are a friendly group of visually impaired people who enjoy socialising and welcome new members to join us. We meet on the first Friday of every month from 1pm to 3pm at Queen's Cross, Wellington Road, Dudley, DY1, 1RB in the Cafe Plaza, where drinks and refreshments can be purchased if required. Each month we have different activities, craft sessions, quizzes, guest speakers and meals out. There will be a fee of £3 for each session to help cover running costs. This will be invoiced for at the end of each month. If you are interested in finding out more about attending the sessions, please contact Mina Sahota on 01902 880 111 or email msahota at beaconvision.org to book a place.
12: And finally, just a quick reminder there is still accommodation at Beacon Course. Beacon Court is located in Sedgeley, just a short distance from Wolverhampton City Centre. We have parks, local shops and public transport links right on our doorstep, offering you comfort, security and convenience alongside the independent living and a wide variety of choices. Each home has its own front door, individual access card, two bedrooms, a store, a wet shower room, a lounge with kitchen and appliances, gas central heating, UVBC glazed windows. Beacon provides a 24-7 care team on site to deal with any emergencies 365 days a year and there's a pull cord in each apartment that you help raise an emergency. You also get a 30-minute a week wellbeing post call from either Suki or Amanda and they help go through things like your post, paying bills and just giving you some extra support. If you or you know of anyone else who might be interested, please call Bromford on 01902 882170 to speak to the scheme manager. Regarding getting in touch with Beacon, we have our website, which is www.beaconvision.org, Facebook at Beacon Centre, Twitter at Beacon Centre, Instagram at Beacon Vision. Our main address for the building in Sedgley is Wolverhampton Road East, WV46AZ. And don't forget, if you want to opt out of receiving this newsletter, please contact the Beacon on 01902 880. One, one, one. Have a fabulous month.
1: Now, here come the quiz answers. And they're brought to us
10: by Mina. Hello and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question 1. In what year did Dudley Zoo open? And the answer here is 1937. Question 2. What is on the menu for the animals in Dudley Zoo at Christmas? And the answer is sprouts. Sprouts. Question 3. What was unique about Dudley Zoo's chairlift? And the answer is it was the first aerial ropeway in the country. Question 4. What was the castle's address before 1926? And the answer Sedley. Question 5. Which side held the castle? During the English Civil War. And the answer, the Royalists. And finally, question six. What is the name given to the castle famous ghost? And the answer, the Grey Lady. Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you all once again. Bye for now.